0: Why uh, why don't we turn in our Bibles or on our phones or in real life to James chapter 5 as we study those first six verses together? Months ago, people said, Let's study James, they said. It'll be fun, they said. Here's 5 verse 1. Now you listen, rich people. Now listen, you rich people. Weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. (laughs) It's going to be a great day. if you're visiting here at Grace, don't forget to get the cookies on the way out. You probably won't be back. Um, thanks for coming. So, well, anyway, let's get going here. Uh, James' James's tone is, wow, uh, it's a different volume now. You know, the first three chapters, James is coming at us like, a, like an old school coach. I kind of like it. He's frank, and he's just going to tell us the way it is. Chapter 4, he puts his whistle down, puts on his master sergeant uniform, and starts yelling at us. Now, in chapter 5, he's abandoned that, and he's a full-blown Old Testament prophet. He's a street preacher, hellfire brimstone. He's bringing it. It's at 11 at this point. You need to know this, though, and he's talking this way. He is a street preacher. He... He's kind of changed the audience somewhat. Most of the scholars will tell you in this paragraph he's talking to non-believing wealthy people that were needing to be preached to. And he's, while he's preaching to the outside non-believing wealthy person that's abusing their power, he wants the church to be listening carefully because they need to learn something too. So you see, he kind of has two audiences going, uh, when I was looking at this it reminded me that what pictured in my mind was our three children we have three grown children we are so proud of them they are courageously living out uh, the radically different dreams that God gave each and every one of those kids and I mean th- those children were, are so completely different in the way God made them and in the way they responded in like acting out our oldest uh, son, Ryan, when he would act out, he would go this way. And our second-born, Carrie, when she would act out, she would go that way. Our third-born, Amy, she didn't act out that much. And I, I, don't, I think she just was observant. I don't think she was any more intelligent than the other two. She just saw where this went and where that went. And just if you, sometimes if you just do the opposite of bad, you end up doing good. You stay out of trouble. And that's... That's, what's, that's what we're going to do today. We're going to read through this section and we're just going to do the opposite. We're just whatever, whatever these wealthy men and women are doing in the way that they're using their power and, and their wealth, let's just do the opposite. And I think God will be pleased with that. There's two thing, aspects of the context of this section that will be important for us to understand before we read it. That way we'll make the most of it. And the the first principle that you need to know is just kind of the power of wealth, the power of wealth itself. You can't find a verse in the Bible that says that riches are bad or someone's wrong for for being wealthy. Money is not evil. Now, the love of money, and you don't have to be rich. You can be rich or poor. The love of money leads to all kinds of evil. And the kinds of evil that James is dealing with, particularly, are two kinds. One is the thinking that they have power over other people to hurt them. And the other one would be that they are independent. Power and independence. The power to ruin a person's life because they can. And the idea that they're independent of God and independent of final justice. And answering to God, so when we're reading through this section, I want you to be looking for the abuse of power on over on other people, but also kind of an idea that they're going to live a life without consequences. That's one of the issues of context. The second issue of context that you need to grasp is a repeated reference to an eternal judgment that we are a temporal, but we're living for eternity. That. These very short lives that we live, the choices that we have, will echo into eternity. There is a final judgment. There is a reckoning that's coming. And he's going to bring this up in at least three times. I've underlined it so that you know that's what I'm making a reference to. So let's read it together. These are six verses together. He says, now, now listen, you rich people. Weep and wail because the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth has rotted, and the moths have eaten your clothes, and the gold and silver are corroded. And the corrosion, it's a, it will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you fail to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty." You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent person who was not even opposing you. So there. The general kind of uh, rebuke here is found in the first verse, and then the rest of the section is is going to explain why. It's, it's, you should be wailing and mourning. He says, now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. This is the street preacher James, just yelling on you know, Wall Street or Madison Avenue or wherever it might be. And he's like, hey, you wealthy unbeliever, you should be weeping, weeping and wailing. You shouldn't be laughing right now. You should be shrieking with some deep sense of regret. Shame and remorse should be what is generating inside of you. And why why all the hellfire and brimstone? Because James is saying, look, you have bills to pay. You bet your one and only life on like a dead horse. Like, really. And, and you have gambled that you won't be accountable for all the blessings that God has given you. Whether you acknowledge the source of that or not you're going to give account to that. And so that's that's the general right threat here and now he's going to give us four ways that these uh, people were abusing their wealth. And we're going to look at those and then do just the opposite of that. So the first one is he's talking about them hoarding in a time of in the last days, hoarding verse 2 and 3. Your wealth has rotted. The moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver is corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. So James is looking at the wealthy people back then, very similar today. They expressed their wealth and opulence in this case by the excessive food that they had just in storage not daily bread, and they they had more clothes than they could even wear, and then coins filling vaults. And they can't even possibly use them in their own lifetime. All these blessings that God has given them, and they're just storing it up so much so that the, the food's rotting, the clothes are being eaten by moths, and even the coinage that they have is showing tarnish. All the while... There's needs all around them that need to be met, and they're stockpiling. So, hoarding, wrong. Let's just do the opposite of that and be responsible with the wealth that God has given us. Be responsible. Be insightful. Think forward. Don't be like the the poster child for this right here is Ebenezer Scrooge. We know that story. Charles Dickens, right? Christmas Carol... Or you're looking at this man and you're saying, Ebenezer, what are you going to do? Like, what's gonna, what are you going to do with all of that wealth, all that gold? I mean, you, like, you're so old, we already have a headstone carved for you. We're just waiting for the month to carve into the end of it. Meanwhile, you're paying your employee as little as possible. All the while, you're mounting up gold coins for What purpose? And all the while there's tiny Tim just needing, just needing a little help financially, and the boy could walk again. And he specifically says, James says, he says, you're hoarding wealth in the last days. And the point is that like there's an important, eternal Work to be done. We're running out of time here. There is a cause that's everlasting. We do have a command from a king on high. And you're doing what? When Jesus spoke in this area, he talked about laying up your treasures in heaven. And the idea was that we are, we are only stewards for what we have here. In other words, we don't own anything. We're just managing someone else's assets. And the way we manage those assets, we can send those forward to eternity. In other words, what we, what, what we save and invest in for the kingdom of God, can, we can be rewarded for, ever, forever for that. And so, like, there's a difference between hoarding and saving and investing. Okay? Uh, when it comes to, like, saving and investing, you use those resources that you have and you say, oh, they, they will be used for something. Not they might be used, but oh, they're going to be used. When people hoard, they're never going to be used. People that save and invest do so for the purposes of God. They don't know what's going to happen in the future and want to have resources available for opportunities. Opportunities for the gospel, the the message of God. to Help people become like Christ in all of life, all around the world or just down the street. So they save and invest for the gospel's sake. They save and invest for opportunities to help people that are in need. <laughs> Sometimes a tragedy. True victims need help and they need resources. People save and invest for godly reasons to help their families and their families in future. The idea here is that it's going to be used. Assets will be used for godly things. Hoarding, they won't die. They, those, whatever, food or clothes or coins, they're rotting away. They won't be used, and if they, are, if they ever are used, they're gonna, not going to be used for the benefit of others. Listen to the motive of a person that hoards and see if it's true in you. It's just, the motive is, I just need a little bit more. I need a little bigger pile, and then, and then something. So don't hoard. Do the opposite. Live like you're an eternal being, because you are, where your investments echo into eternity and make eternal consequences. Be responsible. Let's be responsible. Let's not hoard. Let's be responsible. That's what we can learn from this section. The second abuse of wealth and power comes in the next sentence. He's talking about cheating people, particularly the most vulnerable. In verse 4, it starts off, Look, <laughs> look at the wages you fail to pay the workers who mowed your fields and are crying out against you, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty now, in the context of this, he's talking about what we would call day laborers or even migrant farmers, and the it, it would mean a person that that was that, that had so little assets in They had no assets. They were so impoverished that every day, that's what they lived on. They could not save. And so if you didn't pay them that day's wage, their family didn't eat. And the idea of of caring for people that are giving you services and are particularly those that are less fortunate than you, when you have assets and resources, goes, like caring for those people, goes all the way back to Moses. (laughs) When Israel is being... Uh, Given a constitution in Deuteronomy, it says, do not take advantage of a hired worker who is poor and needy, whether that worker is a fellow Israelite or is just a foreigner residing in one of your towns. Pay them their wage each day before the sun sets. Because they're poor and they're counting on it. Otherwise, they might cry out to Yahweh against you and you will be guilty of sin. That value and that judgment was mentioned by Isaiah talking to Israel. And then later Malachi as well. And then here comes James saying, this is what evil looks like. This is an abuse of wealth and power. Here's a great summary from a Bible scholar, William Barclay. It is the teachings of the entire Bible. In its every part that the Lord of the universe is concerned with the rights of the laboring man. I want to mention here that these laborers are not crying out to, I'm going to talk to the manager. (laughs) They're crying out to God Almighty. Talk to you about that in just a minute. I want to emphasize here that the first application is like, let's not cheat people that we owe money to. You know what? Let's do the complete opposite of that. Let's be generous. As generous as we possibly can be. The crime here is that they, the, the person is using people because they love money. So just do the opposite of that. <laughs> love people and use money. Use money to show them that you love people. So everyone that comes to work at your house or fixes your car, whatever they ask, pay them. If, they do a, if you're really impressed with that, tip them. I would suggest you tip them big. When someone comes to trim your trees or paint a room, make them glad that they came to your house. Have them bragging about you being the person that's giving them cash. I started doing this a few years ago because I watched friends of mine do this. It is fun to see on their face, what? And you go, yep, I want you to be happy that you served at this address. First application don't cheat a, a laborer. Bless them. Be generous every chance you get. But there's a second application here. It's for the laborer itself. Maybe you're on the receiving end of not getting the check that's due to you. He, James is not being subtle here. He says your prayers are being heard. And I want you to see like the multiple ways he's going to express this. He's going to show that there's two things crying out, not just one. The wages are crying out. And the laborers are crying out. And they're not crying to Jehovah Jireh. That's the title of God. God provides. Oh, dear God, provide for me. These cries are being heard by God Almighty. Look what verse 4 says again. Look, like, wake up. The wages you fail to pay the workers who mowed your fields, those wages are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. Who are the cries addressed to? The Lord Almighty. Let's say it a different way. The Lord Sabaoth. It's in the Old Testament Hebrew. The Lord of hosts. Still don't know? It's the Lord of the armies. They're calling out to the God of war. And he's listening. This is, there's only two times where God Almighty, that, phrase, that, that title is ever appealed to in the New Testament. And the other one is just quoting the Old Testament. This is the only time it's actually applied. God Almighty is saying, hey, war angels, tack up. There's some some brothers and sisters that aren't getting paid. And I'm hearing their prayers. When someone appeals to God Almighty, the Lord Sabaoth, they're appealing to the sovereign, all-powerful God of the universe. So, if you're that laborer, your wages are crying out, and God Almighty is hearing that as well. It may appear that you don't have a defender here, but you do. God hears. God Almighty is going to defend you. So, look, let's don't cheat people that we owe money to. Let's do the opposite. Let's let's act like... We're not from here, that we're just on temporary visas, and we're just going to, like, since we're here for such a short time, we're going to give, and we're going to be generous every chance we get. A third way that uh, the wealthy are abusing the, this power and resources is, is with wanton pleasure. Now they're going to not act like they're a god, they're going to act like they're a dog. He says, You who have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence, you have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. Self-indulgence, it means wanton pleasure. It is is extravagant waste. It's uh, it's just completely surrendering to your lustful needs and satisfying those. It's addiction to physical comfort. In 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 a single word, gluttony. It's appealing to the animal side of us that we're, made in, that we're made for so much more. And so I love how James like, you wanna appeal to an animal? Fine, you fatten yourself, he says, like figuratively and even literally for the day of slaughter. I think James might've invented that phrase, the pigs get fat and the hogs get slaughtered. That's what he's referring to. Eat, drink, be merry, get fat. And then the butcher comes, James interjects, and then the butcher comes. So, the application is pretty simple. Let's not live self-indulgent lives. Let's do the opposite of that. Let's live like we're in the very image of God, that we're more than mammals. And that image of God is everlasting. And so, let's live virtuous lives in every part of our life. The reason, I mean, we're supposed to be like taming our passions, not setting them free. We're supposed to be harnessing those urges, not giving them permission. Here's a great saying, you're supposed to buffet your body. That's a verb, not buffet your body. (laughs) Spell the same. Oh, that's how I'm supposed, okay. The last reason for condemnation for James's fire and brimstone sermon here is the abuse of their wealth in expressing injustice, especially upon the innocent and the vulnerable. That's verse 6. You have condemned and murdered the innocent person who was not opposing you. And the meaning here is in James chapter 2, previously he uh, was harsh on the wealthy having the resources to bring people to court for trivia and wearing people down because they had the power to do that. And now he's bringing it up again. He's saying, look, you're, you're going after people that are innocent to take what little they have and when you have so much more? Or are you doing it just because you can break them? Because you can? And when you deprive a person, a day labor, for example, of their, of their ability to have an income, it's, it's killing them. He's saying, you're murdering them. And he, said, he calls him an innocent person. The inner, he says the innocent person isn't even opposing you. He's not even fighting back sometimes because he can't fight back. He doesn't have the resources, can't hire a lawyer, can't get time off a half a day to just go to the court. And you know that. And so you're going to win this case again. Or sometimes the innocent person just doesn't fight back. Chooses to let justice be delegated to God Almighty. Either way, he's not fighting back. But the lesson for us is, <laughs> you know, the wretched here are being unjust to people, especially the innocent. And we, well, let's just do the opposite of that and, and live our lives because we care so much about our soul that we, and we know that this is such a short life that we're going to do everything we can to bring justice to the innocent. If what is evil is bringing injustice, then we're going to do the opposite of that and we're going to look for opportunities to bring justice to every every avenue of our experience. But I mean, are you hearing like the bigger theme of what what he's talking about, what the problem is and what the solution is? The problem is, is people were living as though this was the only life and they weren't going to be answering for it. And so what we're supposed to be doing is live our lives like we're dying. We are. Live our lives like we're just passing through. Like we're aliens in a foreign land, because we are. And then this short alien, out-of-sync life where we're just transient, it comes to an end. And then, and then, and then. James is referencing the return of Jesus Christ. And what that means is justice will prevail. When he comes back, he's coming back as a lion. And, he's, and there's eternal effects, everlasting consequences for the choices that we make in this temporal, short, painful, alien time. Make the most of those. You'll be rewarded or you'll be regretful. Maybe the most serious scene in the entire Bible, it's found in, in the last book, Revelation, chapter 20. When all of the dead, that's everyone, like all humans, are before the, what's called the great white throne. And in the great white throne, in this particular judgment, all the books, multiple books, are opened up. And everyone is evaluated by the choices that we make in this short, temporary flash of a lifetime. And if there's justice that is lacking in this life, justice will prevail in the next time. It's going to be made right. You want to make sure you're living this life so that you're rewarded for being part of making it right in this life. Jesus talks about this, like, divine judgment. He tells a story to help us, you know, guy kind of grasp it. He tells a story of, of a rich man, and he won't even give him a name but it's almost the exact audience that James has here. Someone using their wealth and power for their own benefits in multiple ways. And then another man, his name is Lazarus, and Lazarus is a, a very sick, uh, poor, starving individual, and while you know the, the fat, rich guy is dining big, right, opulent and hoarding, Lazarus is literally begging for crumbs off of his table, and the rich man ignores him. They both end up dying, and Lazarus goes to heaven, and the rich man goes to Hades and is tormented. And he calls upon Father Abraham to be his messenger to God and says, look, like I, 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 this is, I can't believe this. And Abraham, Father Abraham says, you had a lifetime of physical blessings, and you have a lifetime of choices to use all of those assets, and you chose poorly. And this is the effect. And so he realizes there's no changing his fate, so he says, look, look, I have five brothers. You know, same income bracket, same choices. Send Lazarus back to them. They'll, they'll change. They'll repent. Abraham, Father Abraham says, no. So here's the thing. Moses, it's written clearly. The prophets made it vivid. If they won't listen to the prophets or to Moses, they won't change. And the rich man said, Send Lazarus. They see a dead man raised, they'll repent. Jesus says this with a wink. He says, if they won't listen to Moses and the prophets, they won't be convinced even if a man is raised from the dead. Jesus was raised from the dead, and people still ignore him. He tells them the way it is and the way it will be, And we just won't listen. Because they're wealthy? No. Because the people that are being condemned here live like this is all there is. Just the here and now. And there is no ultimate justice. And if you live your life like there is no God and there's no justice, the Bible has a word for that. You're a fool. Moses and the prophets and Jesus and now James come to us and say you guard your heart. It's everlasting and you'll make choices in the temporal and you'll live with them for the eternal. So for God's sake, for other people's sake, for your own sake, keep your soul Tender towards the Lord's leading Because if you do You'll do things for the Lord And you'll be rewarded for that And you'll be glad you did You can read this passage And it seems the application is somewhat obvious Just do the opposite (laughs) Use the short term wealth And power if you have that For eternal gain Save, invest responsibly for eternity. Like, be generous like you're like, giving out Confederate money and it doesn't even matter. <laughs> be virtuous in every part of your life. Bring justice to every sphere of influence that you can. Because then, 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 report card day. Have you ever had a report card where you just killed it and you couldn't wait to get home? You like by God's grace, you're becoming like Christ in all of life, and you show up to the throne, the great white throne, and look, look, because that life, the Bible says, will be crowned by the very King of all kings. That's a promise from the Bible. That's not wishful thinking. That's not from me. That's the way it will be. It'll be a great day. Live like that day. There's an Italian version of this. It's just a parable. It's, it's, it's the Christmas carol, except with better food, I guess. Uh, lead player there, well, one of the players is this, this wealthy landowner, and he's not known so much for his wealth as he is for his cruelty and his impatience. And one of his employees, we'll call him a slave, one of his, his slaves, his workers, did something wrong. Like they messed up a whole string of, of vines in the vineyard and is brought to, to the rich man. And the rich man said, you are the stupidest, dumbest person I have ever met. Sorry about the language. I'm just quoting the story. He goes, you know what? The rich, the rich man said, you know what? Do this, like he grabs his staff. He goes, carry this staff with you the rest of your life. And if you can ever find another person more stupid than you, then you can give them that staff. Well, the man was a little bit simple, and what he thought was, you know, hy- what should have been hyperbole, he thought it was actually a t- t- to-do list thing. So he went on a journey for two years looking for someone that more stupid than he is. He had some close calls. He almost gave it away, but it turns out he was number than everyone he met. He ended up making his way back to the villa and he was called to the home the, the landowner's home and actually into the, his bedroom. It wasn't just any bed. It was the landowner's deathbed. And so there the servant stands and the owner says, "This is the last time we're going to talk." I'm going on a long journey. And the slave said, well, are you going to come back or are you going to return? He goes, no, there's there's no returning from this. He said, well, did you prepare a place for this long journey? And he said, no, I I didn't. And then the, (laughs) the dumb slave said, but you had a chance to prepare, right? And the rich man said, I had a whole lifetime prepared, and many opportunities, and I squandered them. I wasted them. And so the foolish man said, so you're going on a long journey that you can't return from. You didn't prepare, but you had all the time in your life to prepare. And the wealthy man said, yeah, that sums it up. And the foolish man grabs his staff and says, you should take this then because you're the stupidest man that's ever lived. If you live your life as though there is no God and there's no final judgment, God has a word for that. You're a fool. But he also says this, that if you look at your life As though you're in the very image of God, that you're eternal and everlasting. And this short stay is merely a way to show him that you are responsible for your gifts and talents and assets and resources and just life. When you see life that way and and use all of those things to give glory to God... And to make your life be an image, like a reflection of Jesus Christ in your life. You're going to be rewarded. It's a promise from God. He swears by his own name. You'll be glad you did. So, (laughs) James is telling us, this is what's right and real and true. Live this way without regret. It's not a bad passage, after all. Let's pray. We can be that way. Lord, we are grateful for the clarity of James in this passage, knowing that many of us in this room are wealthy, that we <laughs> have assets that in the history of mankind could only be envied even by kings. And so knowing that, Lord, we, we want to hear this uh, this brimstone sermon that's addressed to other people, and we're listening, we're eavesdropping, we're seeing that maybe we live that way as well. Lord, I'd ask that you'd give us a vision for eternity, that you'd give us an impatience for the temporal, that we would look at souls as fellow image bearers, not to be used, but to be enjoyed, and money and wealth and all these other things, those are to be used so that we might enjoy helping people become like christ in all of life lord i pray that we would be good stewards of every opportunity that you bring to us that that we would be people of valor and courage and and wisdom generosity virtue these attributes of of godly men and women help us be that we pray this in jesus name Amen.